0: Welcome to Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, a podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. I'm your host, Olivia, and each episode I will share with you a different weird fact from the animal kingdom. I do have a little tiny bit of news, but it's nothing that's really coming up urgently. I am working on a couple of uh, design things. One is potentially coming up with a bit of a t-shirt design that I have mostly worked out, and then the other one... I am actually working on a bit of a logo redesign. I have a little bit of a couple things I want to keep looking at there. So it's almost done, but I do want to spend some more time with it before we just call it good and we launch it. So uh, keep an eye out for that. I think it's going to look really cool and it's going to look a little bit more polished and professional than the logo that we have now, I think. So so yeah, so be on the lookout for that and uh, af- that's really the only news that I have this week so far, so we're going to hop on in. Do you have anything to add, Coco? Okay, we got a couple of small purrs there, but I think that's all we're gonna get. Uh, so we've been going through a few episodes here, talking about a few different shark species. And with um, last episode, we had the basking shark. So if you missed that one, go on back to episode 36. And this episode, we are going to be talking about the poor beagle. I feel like this one's a bit of a lesser-known shark, so I mostly just wanted to talk about it, but we do have a few good fun facts in here, so let's get to it! The poor beagle is in family Lamnidae, and this is a family of sharks all referred to as mackerel sharks, sometimes also referred to as white sharks. This is the same family as the great white shark, as well as Mako sharks and the salmon shark over in the North Pacific, and the salmon shark actually kind of fills the same little ecological niche that the salmon or that the poor beagle shark does. The poor beagle eats fish like mackerel, which is potentially what it could be named for, the family anyway, as well as herring, as well as some ground fish like haddock, cod, and flatfish. And they'll also go after squid, so unlike the larger cousin, the great white, they're really not going to be going after seals or other larger marine mammals, but I'm sure if they found a dead one they might take a little monch or two. The mackerel sharks are all also marked by being fast-moving predatory sharks. that all live primarily in colder waters, and they're able to do this because they are endothermic, or they're warm-blooded, instead of being ectothermic like other fish. We're going to dig into that a little bit later, but that is one of the things that really helps them to keep their habitat. While white sharks or grey-white sharks can be found practically everywhere around the globe, the porbeagle shark primarily exists within the temperate and colder water areas of the world. They will go into the Mediterranean, but they primarily are going to be sticking to the North Atlantic Uh, South Atlantic, South Pacific, as well as some of the waters around the Antarctic Ocean. Most of the time they're going to be spending is over the outer continental shelf, so in many of the same areas that we're going to be seeing that basking shark. So in that area that's not really quite right up in the shallow water coastal areas, a little farther offshore, but before we hit deep water. Especially as we get into winter time, the uh, poor beagle will go offshore more and can be found as deep as 1,360 meters or 4,460 feet. Now, uh, as I said, they can be found in the colder waters of the world, but one thing that's kind of interesting is that the different uh, populations of the poor beagle really don't mix. So, the western North Atlantic and the eastern North Atlantic populations of poor beagle are actually going to be reasonably distinct. There is the occasional traveler between East and West North Atlantic. I think I saw one study where they literally found one poor beagle that went from the East to the West, and that is it. So not a whole lot of mixing between populations, so they are distinct and it is thought that, um, or could potentially happen one day, that they get to be separate species, but so far they're still considered the same. Now, where the poor beagle got its name, there does seem to be a little of, uh, there are some mixed ideas on where the name came from. In some sources, they said that it's thought to be a combination of the word porpoise and beagle, with porpoise referring to the poor beagle's streamlined shape and the beagle due to its hunting ability. However, the Oxford Dictionary points to it as, or points to its origin coming from the Cornish porth, which means harbor and bugle, which would mean shepherd. So these would more equate to where it spends its time and also its hunting ability. So what does a poor beagle look like? They look pretty similar to a great white shark in terms of their streamlined body. Uh, they have gray on top, white on the belly, but they are just a little bit more stout. So if you were to look at it, it's kind of like a short, stout, thick white shark. And there was one source that I found that made it sound a little bit mean, like they said it was the thickest of the mackerel sharks. And, I don't know, (laughs) I don't think you should call sharks fat, I think that's how you get bit. Um, But they look like a short and stout white shark, essentially. However, they are much smaller than great white sharks. Um, Great whites can get up to 6 meters or about 20 feet, with the occasional shark getting a bit bigger than that, but primarily sticking in that range. But the poor beagles are mostly getting to be in the 2 to 3 meter range with 8 to 10 feet. So the 10 feet, I think, was the largest poor beagle documented, um, officially. So they are about half the size of a white shark. As I had said earlier, the poor beagles are endothermic, much like white sharks and other members of the Laminidae family. So this means they are what we often refer to as warm-blooded, so they can generate and maintain their own body heat. Most other fish are ectothermic, or cold-blooded, as we often say, and rely more directly on the environment to maintain their body heat, so think about reptiles that need to bask in the sun to warm up, but uh, the temperature of the surrounding water will also affect their body temperature. Uh, Many ectothermic fish are also what we like to call poikilotherms, and I will always use a good opportunity to say the word poikilotherm. it's just such a good word. With poikilotherms, the body temperature varies pretty directly with the environment and the body temperature of the animal is going to match that of the environment, sometimes with a couple of degrees difference, but it mirrors pretty closely. So animals that are poikilotherms have to be able to cope with very large variations in body temperature. They have quite a range they have to deal with, both with many cases very hot temperatures as well as freezing cold temperatures. So, um, many animals that we would consider to be a poikilotherm have adaptations to survive the cold and freezing temperatures. Like, they need to be able to uh, keep their cells from freezing over in wintertime. Because uh, cells really don't do well. When they have ice crystals forming in them, that's how frostbite happens and you lose fingers. So many of them will do things like produce chemicals that act as antifreeze. So like the wood frog would be a good example of a poiklotherm. They produce a um, they produce a chemical that helps to keep them from completely freezing through during the winter time and then they thaw over summer. So how are the poor beagles able to maintain their body temperature? What do they have in place? So the poor beagles and other members of the lamnidae family. They have what we call a countercurrent system of blood vessels that maintain heat called the rete Mirabilia system. So the rete act like a net of blood vessels, and the blood vessels are close enough that they are able to exchange heat from, they are able to exchange body heat with, a, with each of the blood vessels, so that instead of heat being lost to the environment, the body heat is kept within the body system. Other animals that may have the reedy system are also going to be marine mammals that are diving animals, so then when they dive down deep they're still able to maintain their body temperature as well as birds with webbed feet so that they're not losing a whole lot of their body heat to the environment when they're sitting there paddling around in the cold water. The poor beagle has these reedy systems around pretty key parts of the body like the brain and the eyes, their swimming, mu- their swimming muscles, the guts, as well as the kidneys. So, having these uh, body warming mechanisms in such crucial parts of the body has several key advantages for them. So, for the one, it helps to maintain their fast swimming and cruising speeds since they're able to maintain their own body temperature and create their own body temperature when they are swimming in deeper waters They don't have to worry about getting too cold to swim fast or anything like that. So the advantage there is that they can hunt in deep water for longer. Other fish, if they have to hunt in deep water, for example, the Mola Mola, the ocean sunfish, sometimes will hunt in cooler, deeper waters looking for jellies. And they need to come up after a period of time to bask in the sun and warm back up. The poor beagle is not going to have this problem since it's not going to... It's not going to get cold and slow down. It's able to maintain its own body heat. Being warm for longer also allows them to hunt in the higher latitudes during the winter. So as far as we know and as far as I could find, the poor beagles really don't have any sort of major migration path. They're not going to be going from the, for example, the coast of Maine down to the tropics for wintertime to stay in warmer areas. They, we don't, as far as we know, they're not doing that. Instead, what their migration patterns have them doing is going from the shallower areas in the springtime and hunting in the deeper waters over wintertime. So being able to stay warm helps them stay warm in colder areas, and then they don't have to go on these huge migration paths all the time. Now, the uh, maintaining heat around their brain and eyes, this is going to help keep up their visual acuity, which is really important if you are doing things like hunting fish in a marine environment, you're able to chase them down and having reduced response times is also, you know, really important. You don't want to you don't want to get all laggy if you're if you're a top predator when you're hunting your fish or you're hunting your squid, you want to be able to make sure that you can properly react to whatever your prey is doing to maximize your opportunities of catching that fish. Because one advantage or one disadvantage that comes with being warm-blooded is that it takes more energy to maintain the system since you have to spend a bit more energy to create and then maintain that heat. The ectothermic fish do have a bit of an advantage there, Um, much like reptiles, since they aren't making their own heat, they don't have to just eat all of the food quite as often. So the poor beagles and other lamnidae sharks are going to need to be eating quite a bit in order to maintain their metabolism. Now, much like basking sharks, poor beagles don't have too many predators, um, at least as adults, but younger, smaller poor beagles may be hunted by orcas as well as some larger sharks. So, if they were to run into a larger white shark, then that might be a problem. Now, of course, humans have historically been an issue with the poor beagle, as we have been for many, many different shark species. So, uh, I... Try to have it on a bit of a positive note right at the end, but we are going to be wrapping up the episode on a bit of a bummer note. Poor beagles have long been considered by sport fishermen to be a really good sport fish. Apparently, they put up quite the fight. And starting in about the 1920s, the poor beagle was starting to be fished pretty heavily for its meat, oil, uh, fish meal, as well as for the fins, for shark fin soup. The fishery kept growing, but then it eventually crashed in the 1960s and has since been considered overfished even on into the 90s. They did experience some boom and bust cycles, so, in between the 60s and the 90s, there were some increases in the fishery again, but each time they've crashed. Globally, the poor beagle is considered a vulnerable species. They do have a slower reproductive rate, which contributed to the crash in the fishing industry, and um, because of the high fishing pressures, they are considered to be endangered in their local populations, so the western North Atlantic is endangered and is critically endangered in the eastern North Atlantic. Uh, Globally, though, it's considered to be a vulnerable species by the IUCN. There have been some protective measures in place in order to try and protect the shark, if we look at the eastern North Atlantic and the Mediterranean, the European Union has protected the poor beagles since about 2011, and fishing for them is illegal. And the western North Atlantic population doesn't quite have the same protections, but it is still protected both in Canada and the United States, with some fishing quotas, so only so many sharks can be caught in a year. They do have some documented mating grounds in Newfoundland, and. Any fishing has been closed there, so shark fishing is not allowed in the mating grounds, which is good. Now, sharks have been here many, many thousands of years long before humans, and we are really good at ruining quite a few things, and it would be really quite sad if we ended up being the downfall of these pretty cool little sharks. So hopefully with these protections, the poor beagle populations will make a rebound and we'll still have them for many years. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and be sure to come on back for the next episode in a couple of weeks. We'll be talking about the Blue Shark. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, and you can also find the podcast on Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music, or just about wherever else you listen to podcasts. There are now a couple of options to help support the podcast. Definitely share us with somebody you know that could use more shark facts in their life, and we all know everybody needs more shark facts. For the price of a pretty snazzy looking set of 3D cookie cutters, you can become a patron on Patreon at patreon.com at quirky, creepy, freaky pod, and that would help to um, make sure that I can keep doing the podcast as well as cover the hosting fees and all sorts of fun stuff. I have some, um, I do still have to post my planned content on Patreon and that will be happening, but my second job just recently started, so I do have a little bit less time for... That sort of thing, but it's coming, I promise. But you can join us on Patreon if you do want to see some marine biology adventures. You can also find the podcast on Instagram, so you can give that a follow at quirky, creepy, freaky pod, and I'm going to be trying to post there a little bit more frequently. And finally, if you have a favorite quirky, creepy, or freaky animal fact, send it on in at quirky, creepy, at gmail.com and it may just make it into an episode. Audio editing and recording was done by me, Olivia Streit. Intro music created by Kaylee Streit. Thank you for listening.